Well, I, this is a very celebratory weekend for my wife and I. We've had three kids in the last eight years. This is the, yeah, this is the first weekend that her and I got to leave children at home and just hang out together, me and her. So thank you, Father. Now, Stephanie, come up here. Where are you at? Run up here, baby girl. Come on now. Let the people see what they want. They want to see you, girl. Now, look, here's what you need to realize for all you single men out there. I met my wife in the house of the Lord. You can see that God is in the supernatural business of letting boys marry up. Can I get a yes, ladies? I love you, baby. Thank you for putting up with me. And thanks for being here with us. I've really had a great weekend. You want to say anything? You are lovely. I love being here. That's the most she's ever said to anybody. Can you thank Stephanie? <laughs> thank you, baby. She did. I married up. And I want to show you a picture of our family before we dive too deep because it's something to celebrate. Uh, you're going to see that we have three boys, an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a two-year-old. And what you're going to see is you're going to recognize very quickly they are one of two of our children. Can you show them our family of our three boys? And you guys just make a decision. Now, there's one thing that matches and one thing that doesn't, okay? Three gingers and a chick who changes her hair all the time. But the reality is when I look at my children, and I look at, keep playing for me just a moment. Can you just give me a little keys? I love that. Thank you. Makes me feel good in the house. See, my three boys are miracles, and here's why they're miracles. My mom had me when she was 16 years of age. 1984, this is before teen pregnancy was acceptable. There was no MTV teen mom. And when she found out she was pregnant with me, my grandfather was a former elder of a local church, and this was not okay. And there was some options put on the table for her. And one of the strongest options was, why don't you get rid of this mistake quietly. It was shameful in my family. She's a 4.0 student. This was not supposed to be the trajectory of her life. And she says, I learned about this God in Sunday school that would be there when you cried out his name. And she said, I remember I went up to my room up in the upstairs of the home and I knew you were inside of me. And I asked the Lord, what do you want me to do with this mistake? And she says she heard for the first time in her life an audible voice that said, Lisa, if you give me this mistake, I will turn it into a miracle. And church, I'm here to encourage you with this thought that I don't know what the mistake you're carrying is. But the God that I serve takes the mistakes of our lives and he transforms them into miracles. Now, I didn't know my biological dad growing up, and I, wanted, I became very curious, like anybody would, to want to know who their biological father is. So I began to research and study, and I found out some things through some family members that my biological father didn't know his biological father, and his biological father didn't know his biological father. I was a third generation of fatherless men that came out from my dad to his dad to his dad. And when I see my three sons, it's a reminder of the transformative miracle of the gospel. That the God we serve does, is not prohibited by our situations, 
but he's a chain-breaking, generational-changing, transformative power that reaches anybody, no matter where they come from, poverty or not, and he does supernatural things with lives that give them to him. Amen? That might be a word for you today. You can go home in Jesus' name. All right, amen. Hey, listen, I just want you to know I'm a crowd participation preacher if you don't know this. I like amens. I like that's good. And I'll take a preacher white boy every once in a while. So listen, on the count of three, shout out whatever's in your spirit. One, two, three. Mm, I like that too. I do want to say, and I mean this, your pastors, you might sometimes, and you know this, but let me just say it anyways. Sometimes as fish, we don't recognize the water that we're swimming in and how good the water we're swimming in is. Your pastors don't just pastor you. They pastor pastors all around the world, including me. I have followed them for 10 years and enjoyed every moment, every message, every text, every encouragement, every time he's challenged me. I'm grateful for a man of God like Pastor Pierre who will pour into the next generation expecting nothing in return. And I just want to encourage you, your pastors, Pastor Pierre and Pastor Marlies, are incredible and you should honor them and it's good to clap and it's good to celebrate and we thank you. They're just the coolest people on the planet. (laughs) But today I want to talk about, as we're in this series, Unseen Anatomy, I want to talk about what happens on our faith journey. You know, we're working through our faith journey, right? And if you're new to Jesus or newer to Jesus, or maybe you're still checking out Jesus, it's a great place to do that. But I remember when I first became a Christian, I was 18, when I first gave my life to Jesus and I surrendered my life to him. It was exciting. It was fun. I couldn't wait to go to church every time the doors were open. I love serving. I love being a part of the mission bigger than myself. I love the purpose and plans that God had. I enjoyed the feeling of feeling free for the first time from the sin and the bondage that was holding me down. And I really was experiencing the goodness of God in my life. But then like many of us, if not all of us, there comes a moment when the new car smell wears out. And it becomes maybe, if we're really honest and vulnerable, a decision and a struggle to serve Jesus like we once did. Like sometimes it's not as fun to get in the Bible when you've already read that story once or twice before. Maybe it's not as impactful as it used to be. Maybe it doesn't feel like it used to. And there's this situation, if we're not careful, that we will be going through our life and we're walking through the motions and we're mailing in our Christianity instead of experiencing the deep transformative work that God wants to do in our lives. And I want to just for a few moments get in, get messy, and discover if there's something beyond the walls that we have been crashing against in our faith journey. Because here's what I would hate for you to go through the rest of your life. Pretending Jesus is doing a work on the inside of you. Going through the motions externally, but internally feeling void and empty and broken. What if this gospel really can change us from the inside out instead of just behavioral modifications? I don't want to just get self-help. 
I don't want to just go through the motions. I don't want to just mail it in. And on Sundays, I'm one way. And on Mondays, I'm another. I want the gospel to change me. I want to feel the gospel moving in my life in a way that I did when I first said yes to Jesus. I don't want to become a professional Christian. I want to be a follower of Jesus to the end of my days. Now, I learned this valuable lesson about breaking through the wall when I was in high school. I played sports in high school. I played two sports, soccer and basketball. Please don't let this vertically challenged body fool you. I will put it on you any day you want it on the court, okay? I love playing basketball. I never was tall enough for it, but I didn't care. My ferocity, you might not be able to tell, but I'm an intense human being. You'll learn this as some time goes on. And so I brought that intensity all the time to the basketball court. Let me just show you 20 years ago what I looked like when I was playing basketball. Come on, somebody. Bam! (laughs) Notice a few things. One, those are frosted tips, folks, okay? If you're not old enough to know what that is, Google frosted tips. They were painful, but yeah, we all did it because NSYNC was the bomb.com back then, okay? Number two, the headband was a choice to keep the frosted tips up. And three, I was probably rocking about a buck 25 wet right there. So you can see I really was a dominant force on the court. But now we played basketball and we had a, we had a really great team. Go ahead, take that. That's shameful. Take that picture down, please. I can't, I can't live there anymore. But we, we had a great team. We had a championship caliber team. We won titles. We were really gifted. I was a role player, but we were a great team, right? And I enjoyed being on this team. And, and one of the things that the coaches would do at the end of every single practice, when we are finished, we've, we've practiced hard, we've worked out, we've done everything, and the coaches would say, boys, it's time to win the wall. Say the wall. And we knew the moment we heard it's time to win the wall that we were going to go through something that we did not want to go through. Now, I don't have a wall here to show you, but I do have some friends of mine. Josh and CJ, would you guys join me up here really quickly? They're going to do the wall. Come on, church. Let's give it up for Josh and CJ. Where are you guys at? Come on up here. Come right here. And I'll go back to back. You're going to be each other's walls. Now, back to back. There we go. Now, now, now one of you is a little bit bigger than the other, but we're going to make this work. Okay, here we go. All right. Okay, now, 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 go ahead, go down, go down, yep, keep squatting, freeze right there. Now, we would have to keep our legs locked in to the wall the entire time. And many times as teammates, we would cross arms, go ahead and see if you guys can cross arms, and we'd have to hold our arms together while our coaches would do things like this. (laughs) Wow, give it up for these guys, come on. Good job, guys. Good job. Our coaches would walk across our legs as we were doing this, holding on to the wall. And we'd be crying like little children. And here's what our coach would say, and I I will never forget this. He'd say, boys, the wall isn't meant to break you. It's meant for your breakthrough. The wall is not meant to break you, it is meant for your breakthrough. And today, church, I want to dive into some scripture. 
And I want to look at this thought that what if the wall that you've been crashing up against in your spiritual journey from the external to the internal, what if the wall you've been crashing against in your marriage, what about the wall with your children, what about the wall at your job, what if the walls that you've been hitting, you've been thinking they're meant to break you, but the word is here to declare it's meant for your breakthrough church family. Let's dive into scripture, Luke chapter 9. I'm going to read a lot of scripture here, but I think it's important that we realize this all happens in one chapter as one story unfolding in front of us. Luke chapter 9, I'm going to start in verse number 1. It says this, One day, Jesus called together his 12 disciples, and he gave them power. Tell your neighbor power. power. And authority. Tell them authority. authority. Now, I'm a Pentecostal boy at heart, okay? That means I like to get loud in church. And when I hear things about power and authority, I get all giddied up on the inside. Because when you come from the background I come from, we want power and we want authority in church. And so that's really fun to preach that he gave them all power and authority. And here's what he did it for, to cast out demons and to heal the diseases. Then he sent them out and tell everyone of the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Notice this. This is so beautiful. Jesus is sending them on this journey, and he's empowering them to do some things. And he's saying, I want to show you how to do some practical things for the kingdom of God. And many of us in our own spiritual journey or our faith journey, we find ourselves getting to do external things for God, to do some fun things that God invites us to. And that is something that we enjoy often in the beginning of our journey. There's a graph I want to show you about the journey of your faith that I think will be very helpful. And it's the stages of your faith. And this is something that I want us to kind of just allow to get inside of us. Stage one is when we recognize the awareness that there is a God in the universe that we need in our lives. He is not mad at us, but he's mad about us. He loves us. And his story he's telling is that Jesus came to redeem humanity from itself. And we receive that story like I did when I was 18. And that's amazing. And then the next thing is we start learning some things about God. We come to church. We start understanding more of the gospel. We start getting in a small group. We find ourselves learning the ways of Jesus and the ways of following God. And then in any good church, we put you to work. Come on, somebody, give me a yes. <laughs> and we get active in the life of our faith, right? And we start serving. And there's nothing wrong with serving, it's actually what Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. And, and we start serving. And notice these first three things are very external. I'm, I'm learning from somebody as a disciple. I'm, I'm plugging in and I'm serving. And I'm going through these external behaviors. But what happens for many of us is we stay stuck there in those external behaviors. And then we get bored. And then we get restless. Then we start thinking maybe there's a better church out there for me than this one. And then we start trying to over-spiritualize all these external things that are going on on the inside of us and trying to justify the fact that deep down on the inside of us, there is something broken and hurting and bleeding, and there's an invitation from the Lord to do a transformative work on the inside of us. But instead of dealing with that ugly that's on the inside, we would rather keep going and finding external things to try to feed the monster that's on the inside. And we hit what we call the wall. Say the wall. the wall. Every one of us will find ourselves somewhere in our journey hitting the wall. And we start thinking to myself, man, it's just not what it used to be. 
doesn't feel like it once did. Maybe this whole Christianity thing is made up. Maybe it's not as good as it was sold to me as. Maybe everyone feels this way and they just don't want to talk about it. And we find ourselves constantly hitting the wall, hitting the wall, hitting the wall. And what I believe the Lord wants to do is take us through the wall and get us to a place where we start looking at an inward journey. We start reflecting on what work do you need to do on the inside of me, Jesus, to transform me from the person that I've been to the person that you want me to become. So that when people recognize me and see me, they don't see the same person they once did, but they see a transformed person who the love of God is changing. And now that I get to become a change agent everywhere I go, bringing the love of God into every situation, every circumstance. When I'm at work with somebody who's crazy, I'm like, Jesus, you're here with me. Like, let's get honest. You guys can take that away. Let's get honest. There are moments at work on Monday when you're dealing with your boss and you're thinking to yourself, is my boss demon-possessed? You bless some water. You kind of try to throw it at him, see if it hisses. Because sometimes we find ourselves in situations where God is not in those situations. Amen? But so often, if it's just an external journey for us, here's what I found. We will bend to the situation instead of allowing the transformative work of the gospel be in us so that we are a light in a dark place. Instead of us just going through the motions of, God, I don't know what else to do right now. I'm stuck in this bad situation. You can stand up and say, listen, my God is able to do more than I could ever hope or imagine because I'm here, he's here. And there's a love transformation happening on the inside of me that the God of the universe is at my job because I'm at my job with these people that need him. People aren't interested in a religion. They're really looking for this relationship that can change their lives. What if we could have peace that just gets beyond our circumstances? What if we could have joy even in the midst of sorrow? What if we could experience something that's so real and so pure that those around us don't need us to preach the gospel with our words? Our life preaches the gospel with the way that we live. But that only happens when you go from the exterior behaviors to an internal work that you allow the Lord to do in your life. So it says that he gave them all authority and kingdom. Let's keep reading. We'll skip ahead to verse number 12. After they went out and did some things for him, here's what we find out. The 12 disciples came back and said, send the crowds away to nearby farms and villages so that they can find food and lodging for the night, for there's nothing to eat in this remote place. They've done these signs and wonders. People are now following them. They have got crowds and crowds of people around them. But Jesus said to them, you feed them. Once again, do something for the kingdom. But we only have five loaves and two fish, they answered. Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? For there was about 5,000 men there. Scholars believe 25,000 with women and children. Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of 50 so that people all sat down. Jesus took out five loaves, two fish. You know the story. Looked up to heaven, blessed it, and then began to distribute it among the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. So I love this story. It's a great preach. It's fun. God will take your little and make a lot with it. We all know that if you look into the scripture, I didn't even go to Sunday school growing up, but I learned this song, five loaves, two fish, in the hands of the Lord is a big, big dish. Come on, somebody. I'm auditioning for worship team next week. No. Okay. 
Some of us, we, we, we sing, and it's called a joyful noise, okay? I just wanted you to know that's me, okay? You don't microphone that. But the reality is this, that, that Jesus in this moment gives them this another opportunity to experience this external blessing of God doing something really, really cool. But what's funny is the very next verse, it says this, that Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. He went from this public Look at me, I'm in front of people, ministry moment. And he found himself the very next verse going by himself to spend time with the Father. I'm afraid for many of us, we've learned how to do the public ministry. But we have not allowed God to do the private work on the inside of us. We've learned how to do the expressions. I know how to lift my hands. I know how to sing. I know how to shake. I know how to smile. I know how to go through the motions to make it look like God is doing this internal work. But in all reality, we've learned the external sides of it, but we've lacked the private personal side of it. Jesus' strength did not come from just the fact that he was God in compass of Christ, but he also, time and time again, found himself alone with the Father, taking a time to allow the Father. Remember, he prayed one time, if this is not your will, let this cup pass from me, but your will be done. Jesus agonized just like we agonize. But he continued to find his source of strength. And I think for so many of us, we find ourselves going through the motions and God wants us to find an alone place with him with deep solitude, deep silence and say, God, do the inner work you need to do on me. Not just the outside public, but the deep inner work. Next verse says this, that his disciples did come with him and then they asked, he asked them, what do people say that I am? What do people say that I am? Well, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Others say you're the ancient prophets risen from the dead. And then he asked them a question that he's asking you and me today. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? See, it's easy to just go ahead and talk about Jesus. It's really hard to talk to Jesus. It's really easy to talk about what God's doing. It's really hard to sit there and talk to God. And Jesus went from this broad question that they wanted to answer. I, I imagine it says they answered. I imagine the disciples talking over each other. Some say you're this. Some say you're that. Some say this. Some say that. And he goes, but what do you say that I am? And it's that awkward, quiet, and small group. Anybody have a prayer request? And everybody's quiet. And then Peter, this loud, obnoxious ginger. I don't know if he's a ginger. I made that up. He says, I say that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Like, we've talked about this, and they don't want to say it out loud, but I will say it to you. I believe you are the Messiah who's coming to save mankind from itself. You are the great rescuer of this story. We need you to do what only you can do for us. I say you're the Messiah. And there comes this moment for every one of us where we recognize, Jesus, in this area of my life that I keep hitting the wall over and over and over again, I need you to be the Messiah in that area of my life right now. I don't need to just talk about you to others. I need to experience you right now. And this wall that I thought was going to break me, no, it's going to be the breakthrough that we need for this moment. But it's not coming from my strength. It's coming from my recognition of your strength. I can't break this wall, but you sure can. 
And right after that, Jesus says, well, let me give you some instructions. If any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own ways. Man, that's really hard to do today. Take up your cross daily, which meant an instrument of death, not a cute little gold chain. And follow me. Translation, don't follow yourself anymore. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Jesus is telling us, you're not going to be able to do this on your own, kid. No matter how hard you try to white-knuckle this thing, no matter how much you try to just grit your teeth and get through it and just fake it until you make it, I'm here to tell you, kids, you're never going to make it that way. But if you give up what you've been holding on to, if you let go of the burdens that you've been carrying, and if you invite me in and you die to yourself as agonizing as it's going to be, you're going to find a life that you never knew you could even have on the other side of that death. We got too many people as Christians white-knuckling it, trying to do it our ways instead of giving it up and saying, God, it's your way, not my way anymore. I'm done trying to figure this out on my own. I invite you into ugly spaces in my heart. And I get it. It's scary. But on the other side of that death, you will find life. And life worth living. You know how I know it? Is it okay if I just get real with you for a second? Listen, you know, your pastor's going to clean all this up next week. He's going to come back. It's going to fix all this. It's going to be all good. But I've seen the deep work of the gospel take place in my life. And I'm here to testify how good he is. You know, when I was a little boy, about 11 years old, it was the first time I found a closet in my grandparents' home that my grandfather hid some magazines that only he looked at. Do you know what I mean by that? And I found these, and I was first shocked. I'd never seen anything like this. But then I got really curious. And I kept looking at them, and I kept going back to it. Nobody knew. I kept finding little moments in my life to sneak off into there. Look at this magazine again. Look at another one. Look at another one. Over and over and over. Not even sure what I liked about it but knew I liked something that was in it. And I fixated. And then as puberty does what it does, as a young boy, you start realizing, man, I have some urges for this. And I found myself slipping deeper and deeper and deeper into a sexual addiction that involved pornography, trying to hook up with any girl that I could, and going through my life needing the fulfillment of what I thought it gave me. Well, then I find Jesus at 18. And I'm told by a good-hearted preacher, that he cleanses you of all your sin and he's going to heal you of everything. And I said, yeah, I want that. And externally, I started learning the ways of Jesus. I learned the lingo, bless God, highly favored. I learned to smile even when I didn't feel like smiling. I learned to be kind instead of losing my crap on people. Come on, somebody. And I worked and I white-knuckled through the external behaviors. It wasn't easy for me. But I had this deep, dark, secret place that I needed to go to when I wanted to be alone. 
And I found myself in this addiction year after year, day after day, every moment fighting it. Nobody saw it, but it was there. And then I become a youth pastor. And I think, finally, I'm a professional Christian. This shouldn't be as hard. And it still was. If anything, it was even harder. Because then there was even more shame attached to it. Kept reminding me, you don't deserve good things. You can't even follow God privately. Then I meet my wife. I say, yes! I can have as much sex as I want now! And let me be honest, it was good. <laughs> but I underestimated sin's power in my life. And I underestimated how much deep-rooted issues were just down there in the crevice of my soul. And instead of dealing with it, I thought I could just ignore it. And there came a moment in our marriage where I am pastoring, we were leading a great work of God, and I would find myself for a few months being clean and then falling apart. And then right back on it, but nobody knew. Just my own private thing that I have to deal with. And one day a young man wanted to meet with me as his pastor, and he's confessing to me his addiction, his pornography, his sexual addiction. And I find myself ministering to him knowing, dude, you got the same issue. And so I suggested a book for him and I to read called Clean about this idea of taking the psychology of this world and the spirituality of the gospel and it merges them together to see freedom in men's lives. And so I read it with him for him. And as that's happening, I'm seeing the Lord begin to do a deep work on the inside of me. And I'm seeing the freedom that's in front of me. And I feel the Lord encouraging me. Doug, I know you're scared. I know you don't think that you're good enough to get through this. But my strength is sufficient for your inadequacy, Doug. And here's what I felt the Lord tell me to do. I need you to tell your wife. And I said, oh, heck no, dude. This is you and me. Nobody else needs to be in this circle. little encouragement. The devil thrives in isolation. The more isolated you put yourself in, the better the devil can just bully your life. So here's me trying to be spiritual. Jesus, I just need you. And he goes, no, you don't. You need some other people too, dude. Confess to me to be forgiven. Confess on one another to be healed, James says. So he says, I want you to tell your wife. I remember trying to tell her one evening and I'll never forget my hand. I couldn't get my hands to stop shaking. Because I was so afraid that she was going to say, I don't ever want to be with you again. I'm embarrassed by you. Shame on you. You broke our covenant. Whatever. Your head just runs. And I'm shaking, thinking, this is it. I'm done with ministry. I'm calling Pastor Pierre. I'm going to go be an Amazon driver in Rochester. This is my life. It's going to sit here. I'm okay with that, but God, I want freedom for the first time in my life. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. 
And I told her, and we cried, and we hugged, and we prayed, and she forgave me. And then we started inviting some accountability. I brought a friend of mine in who's another pastor. He became an accountability partner. We shared this, and we went on this journey where I'm here to tell you who the sun sets free can be free indeed, church. It is not an external only gospel. It is an internal transformation by love. It's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. And I didn't feel this shame. I felt this goodness from a father who loved me. And then listen, we, so I just want to encourage you, if you're walking through something that you think you can't get through, that you've just felt like this is a part of me, I want to encourage you, repent because your God is bigger than your circumstance. I want to challenge you to get accountability with somebody that you can trust that will call you out when you need called out and will love you when you need loved. I want to encourage you to walk it out by faith, knowing that the God we serve does not just do external work. He does internal works. Because now my wife and I, we have an agreement, right? So like it's her, me, my accountability partner. We have an agreement that, and it's just up the ante for those of you who need to know. Sometimes you got to up the ante. That if I go down that path again, we're going to add another accountability partner to my circle. My mother. And let me be clear, I do not want her in that space in my life. And besides it being kind of silly, the reality is, I'm here to tell you as someone who can testify to the goodness of God. He does transformative work for those of us who don't see the wall to break us but we recognize the wall we're facing is for our breakthrough. Amen, church. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless every person. God, right now, if they're walking and pushing against a wall, remind them today that there is a breakthrough of that wall in their lives. God, that you're inviting us to repent from our ways, to turn towards you, bring accountability and partnerships into our lives and believe that the transformative work of the gospel can truly take place in our lives. God, I invite these people to dream new dreams, to believe new visions, to see their life transformed, not stuck where they are, but realizing there's a gospel and a God who loves them too much to leave them where they are right now. Bless them in Jesus' name. With your head bowed and eye closed, if you're here and you don't know this Jesus that I'm talking about, you've not encountered his goodness and his grace, or maybe you did, but you drifted from it, and you're today saying, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life for real. The Bible says very clearly in Romans, that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you down front, but I do want to know who I'm praying with. I believe the international sign of surrender is to lift your hands. When you can't speak the same language as your enemies, you lift your hands when you surrender. Now you might be saying, wait a minute, what are you talking about enemies? I thought God loved me. He does. But our sins separated us from God's love. And Jesus made a way where there was no way. And now we get to come back to God through the bridge of Jesus. And so when I count to three, don't let fear paralyze you. Let your faith have movement and lift up your hand and say, that's me. I want to say yes to Jesus. One, two, three. Lift up your hands right now. God bless you. God bless you. Hands are up all over. God bless you. God bless you. This is a good day to be in the house of the Lord. All of heaven is celebrating over you coming home to Jesus today. 
Do me a favor, take that hand that's lifted high, put it right on your heart. Do you feel your heart beating? God is not done with you yet. He's got a plan that will blow your mind. Follow him, get plugged in to a life-giving church like this one, and watch what he will do with your life. Would everyone in the room pray out loud with the people who raise their hands? Because we believe in church, you never do it alone. So would everyone repeat after me? Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I, ask you I ask you to be Lord of my life. Be Lord of my life. Forgive me Forgive of my sin and give me a fresh start. I confess that I need you and I make you Lord of my life. Show me how to live for you all my days. All my days. In your name I pray. Your name amen, pray. amen, amen. Can we put our hands together and celebrate these people who came home to Jesus today? God bless you, Father's house.